Morning, Coastal Church. It's good to get out, isn't it? It's been uh, some week, right? Um, so do me a favor. Uh, if you have your Bible with you, uh, I'm going to have you turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That's going to be our ending point, okay? 1 Corinthians 15, 54. Uh, verse 54, if you don't have Bibles, probably one chair in front of you. Uh, inside your bulletin, it's a handout. You can follow along with me. We're going to get back to the Creed series. Took a little, little time out last week. Uh, if you missed last week, let me encourage you really, really need to watch uh, last week's sermon, I guess, if you want to call it. That was really a vision casting for Coastal. Uh, we're trying to figure out how we can get more space for our ministries. And so talked about how we're pursuing uh, the purchase of the Kroger building down on Victory Boulevard. So if that's news to you, watch that whole video. I do want to give you an update on that. I'm going to try to keep you updated now as we go. Uh, we do have two financing offers. We're hoping to get a third uh, by early next week. And then once we have three or offers. We'll kind of comb through them and try to figure out which one might be the best uh, for Coastal Community Church. So that's where we are, okay? Continue praying. Uh, I was hopeful that I'm, I'm, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. I'm sure most of your small groups got canceled this week, okay? Uh, because of the weather. So I'm assuming that. So because we wanted to take some extra time in small group to pray. Uh, so next week, I'm going to equip you with a prayer card so that you can continue to pray individually. Uh, but I do want to have you continue to pray uh, for the vision uh, that God has put in front of us at this point. Um, now, one more thing on that. I, I did a bad job in a couple of my service. Look, a lot of you look up at that like, what? You know, so I wish in all three services I had done a better job of letting you know who you can go to to ask questions uh, about this vision. So uh, so if uh, hopefully you'll know some of the names, you, I would encourage you, if you have any questions about this vision, uh, please feel free to talk to any of our elders. Okay, Wayne Drury, Jimmy Martin, John Lindstrom, talk to myself. Talk to Pastor Andrew, talk to Pastor Jeff, Pastor Joey, or Bethany Lane. The reason I'm giving you those names is those are the ones that have probably been the most intimately involved with this process and uh, can probably help answer your questions. So make sure that you get your questions answered, okay? Sunday nights at the Brown House is generally pancake night, okay? Uh, and the reason that is, is that's the night I cook dinner. And, uh, and that's about the best I can do, okay? And so we do pancake night, and, and so it's open to anybody in the community because it only costs us an egg and a little extra flour, right? And, uh, and so I was, we were doing pancake night. We had a friend over, and as I was cleaning up after pancake night, I put most of the dishes away, and I walked away as if my job was done. And my friend says, you know, I'm trying to teach my teenage son to make sure he, when he cleans up the kitchen, he cleans out the sink, to which my wife comes over, she knows I hadn't cleared out the sink. She's like, I've been telling him that for years, you know. And, and it became apparent. I'm sure she had been telling me for years, but it didn't come clear until another person spoke into my life. And now it's kind of this triangulation, you know. Let's attack Sean for not cleaning the sink thing going on, you know. And I realized, you know what, I've been doing my job halfway for years, right? Like, if you, don't, if you don't clean out the sink, you really haven't finished the job. And so for years, I've been leaving that just assuming someone's going to do it, right? And you probably know who the someone is. Um, and so, but if you do a, a job halfway, you really haven't done the job, right? You haven't really completed the task. This morning, we're going to continue with the Apostles' Creed. And, and, man, I've been teaching you this because I want you to see these essential doctrines of Christianity. What is it that makes Christianity Christianity? And I think the Apostles' Creed is a really good tool for us to know the essential doctrines of what it means to be 
Christian. And so this morning, we're going to get into the work of Jesus Christ. And I hope you leave here this morning uh, feasting on the work of Christ, knowing that the work of Jesus, he didn't do his job halfway. We worship and serve a God who saw the work that needed to be done. He saw it all the way through in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Isn't that good news? And so let's take a look at the Apostles' Creed. And, and I, week one, I had you read this out loud, and I said I wouldn't do it again. And then I've gotten some people that come up and say, that's really cool. Can we read it out loud every week? So for the two people that have come up and told me that, you all are going to suffer. Okay? And so, so here we go, right? Let's read this out loud up to our teaching point this morning. I believe in God the Father, almighty creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. And that's where we're going to stop here this morning. And so, uh, man, I, I got to tell you, this creed is packed with so much good theology that I, I'm struggling to get it all in in six weeks. I, I'm trying to figure out where I want to cut it off and, and keep moving. So for, because of that, I, I've got to move quickly through some very important points of Christianity, okay? And so this morning, we're kind of we're taking the journey this morning from Christmas to Easter, if you will, and why these are important doctrines and important truths about the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so the, let's start this morning with Christmas, all right? The creed actually, this point, starts with Christmas. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. He was, he was born of the Virgin Mary, says the creed. And so, you know, uh, we're going to look at the, quickly at the Gospel of John. Now, uh, I always say this, that whenever you look at John chapter 1, John has a, a totally different take on the Christmas story. All right? There's, there's no sheep. There's no shepherds. There's no twinkly lights. You know, this is all about doctrine for John, okay? And so John gives us a very interesting perspective of the story of Christmas. John chapter 1 verse 1 says this, in the beginning was the Word. Okay, what's he talking about? Anybody know when, when he's re referencing the Word? Who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus, okay? And so in the beginning was the Word. Uh, the, word are, the Word already existed. And by the way, when you hear in the beginning, what does your mind go to if you've been reading your Bible? What does it go to? goes to Genesis, right? And so it, these are beginnings, right? And so John here is tying us all the way to creation with the work of Jesus, the Word. In the beginning was the Word. It already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was what, church? It was God, right? Jesus is God from pre-existent. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him. Nothing that uh, was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. Okay, so John here is setting up the pre-existence of Christ. The God that we worship is revealed in a trinity. Okay, and we talked about that week one of the creed. Okay, one God, three persons, all right, and it's mysterious, of course. And so, and so, but he's setting up that at Christmas we have God in God from pre-existence being born and setting foot here on planet Earth. Skip down to John chapter 1, verse 14. 
So the word became human and made his home among us. The, the actual original language there literally is he tabernacled among us. He literally, in fact, take it a step further, he literally, he pitched his tent among us, right? And so back in that day, it was not uncommon to live in a tent. So, you know, Jesus came and he pitched his tent. He, he dove in with us, right? He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. And so Jesus, the Son of God, he's, he's God himself. He took on flesh, being born of the Virgin Mary. This first Christmas is the miraculous incarnation through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me talk quickly about why this is important. Why is this important to us? Why is it important we have a right understanding of Christmas doctrinally and theologically and why this matters? Well, the first thing is, is that Jesus was not later adopted. He, he has a divine nature, right? John 1, 1 to 4 tells us that. There's, there's divinity in Christ. And John makes it clear. The word always existed, and he, and he wrapped himself in flesh. I, um, I've, I've recently been talking to my eight-year-old daughter. I actually, if, this is this, uh, if you've ever been to membership class, I tell a similar story when I'm talking about the doctrine of the Trinity. But I had a, a conversation even this week. My, my daughter has gotten to, to know a, a person in her school that, that goes to a cult. You know, I've tried to explain to her what that means. And I always say, you know, uh, when, when you hear the word cult, we often think, well, cults believe weird things, to which my pushback is as Christians, we believe weird things. We, you know, we believe Jesus was born of a virgin, dead guys come back to life, and burning bushes talk to people, right? So it's not a matter of being, believing weird things. It's a matter of what you do with the, Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity. And I was trying to teach my daughter this idea of, uh, of the God that we worship, that our God is one God, but he's revealed himself in three persons. And, that, you know, and, and I was talking a lot about Christ and, and, and Jesus. And my daughter's like, well, so, so he's God, but he's got the Father, but they're one. And, and finally she looks at me and she goes, Daddy, I, I don't understand, you know? And I'm like, guess what, honey? I don't understand. I said, the scriptures reveal this God and the God that we worship, he's mysterious and he's bigger than we can even imagine. Now, has he revealed enough for us to know and to understand truth? Yes, but has he revealed everything about himself? No, There's, he's revealed enough for us that we can know, probably only enough that we can wrap our heads around. You start delving into the Trinity, man, my mind short circuits. And listen, I, I know some of you are much smarter than me and your mind doesn't short circuit easily, but I imagine as you begin to think about and process the doctrine of the Trinity, your mind kind of short circuits, does it? Like, how does that work? And I say, all we can do is worship the God as he truly is and as he's revealed himself, right? And so our God has wrapped himself in flesh. It's important to understand his divinity, the incarnation, the Christmas story. And the second reason is, thing that you need to know is it fulfills prophecy. Christmas was not like some unexpected thing in the mind of God. The prophet Isaiah, talking about the coming Messiah, said this in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, the Lord himself, Isaiah writes, will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child and she will give birth to a son and we will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The, is this, the, the Christmas is the fulfillment of hundreds and even thousands of years of prophecy of the awaited Messiah. And it fulfills, it wasn't some cosmic accident, okay? God had a plan from the beginning to send God with us. 
The third thing about Christmas and the importance of the incarnation that is fleshed out in this creed is that we have the perfect mediator in Jesus Christ. The divine, while while Jesus was 100% God, he was also 100% human. He's the perfect mediator. He's the perfect go-between between us and God himself. By the way, when you pray, right, we often end our prayers in what? In Jesus' name, right? Why do we do that? Because we don't belong in the presence of the creator on our own. The Bible says there's there's a couple God is statements in the Bible. One of the God is statements in the Bible is God is a consuming fire. He's holy. Sinners don't belong in his presence. The only reason we belong in the presence of God the creator is in the person of Jesus Christ. We better enter into the name, in, in his presence in the name of Jesus, right? I've told you before, I've been asked him many times to pray at community events. Whenever that comes to my attention, I say, listen, you gotta know before I show up, I'm praying in Jesus' name because that's the only name in which I get to enter into the creator's presence and speak, Right? We have the perfect meteor. Joey references at the end of his worship set, his song set here this morning, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. The author of Hebrews says, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours, he understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne for, of our gracious God, and we will receive mercy and and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Church, the God that we worship, I want you to hear this this morning, the God that we worship is not so far removed from us that he doesn't understand what you're going through this morning. That's what's so important about the incarnation and what's so important about Christmas. We sometimes have this idea that God has kind of wound up the globe and lets it go off and off it goes, right? But as, and he doesn't know. He, he, he doesn't have an idea of the kind of things that we go through. That is a false assumption. Our God is the perfect high priest. He's going through all the things that we've gone through. The God that we worship is not so far removed that he doesn't understand. Let me ask you something. Are you here this morning and you're hurting? Like, man, there's a burden that you're carrying that's kind of unseen, and people don't know the burden that you're carrying. God in Christ knows what it's like to hurt. We see him in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before his crucifixion. He's praying, and his, his soul is so burdened, and he's sweating drops of blood. We have a great high priest. He knows exactly what you're going through. Have you ever suffered loss? Maybe maybe you've had to bury someone that you love deeply this year, and you, you know the pain of that. Have you ever suffered loss? God in Christ has suffered loss. Have you ever had a friend betray you? Someone of you, man, they were so close to you and yet they hurt you, they smeared your name and you had to begin to process forgiveness or unforgiveness towards that person. God in Christ knows what it's like to have a friend betray them, betray him. We have a high priest that's gone through what you've gone through. You ever gone through some physical suffering where your body hurts and maybe it's a long-term thing and you wonder, man, I wonder if God knows what it's like to be physically hurting. The answer to that is yes, God in Christ knows what it's like to physically suffer. 
Maybe you're here this morning and you're, you're struggling financially. You feel like you're, you're a hair's breadth away from between you and complete poverty. And you wonder, does God know what it's like to be in desperate financial straits? Guess what? The Bible says Christ had no place to lay his head. God in Christ knows what it's like to struggle financially. Maybe you're here this morning, you struggle with your own flesh. There's a temptation that bombards you and bombards you. And you wonder, man, am I ever going to overcome this sin? God in Christ knows what it's like to be tempted in all the ways we're tempted and tested. Of course, Hebrews 4 says, yet he did it without sin. Our God in Christ knows. Isn't that good news, church? We don't have a distant God the incarnation of God, God with us, God in flesh. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and he was born of the Virgin Mary. And then the creed goes on to say, and he suffered under Pontius Pilate. I love this, right? This is Holy Week, right? This is the idea of Holy Week, the creed reminds us. And, and, uh, and we're actually coming up on that season in church life where we will, we will kind of talk about Holy Week. But you know what Holy Week is, right? Christ entered Jerusalem to shouts of praise, shouts of triumph. Our Savior, our Messiah has come. And by the end of the week, the crowd had turned on him and they were yelling what? Crucify him. Crucify him. The creed reminds us, of him. by the way, what's in a name? There's an important part of the creed, actually. The fact that the creed, uh, the early church, as it was formulating its essential beliefs, gave us a name, Pontius Pilate. Why is that important? Why is that important to us? It's important because we have to understand that, that the, this name gives us a link to history. There's a link to a person. There's a link to a date. There's a link to, a, to actual historical events. I've told you this many times before, your faith, if you're here this morning, you're a Christian, you're, you don't have faith in faith. No one's asking you to check your brain at the door, okay? What, what words? We have faith in, in some actual, some things that actually happened in history. In fact, the resurrection of Christ, Paul, the Apostle Paul, when talking about the resurrection, he says, Jesus appeared to hundreds of people. Most of them are still alive. Go ask them. I dare you. He almost dares us to disprove the resurrection of Christ. And the creed reminds us, man, there was an actual historical event or some, he, Jesus Christ suffered under a person named Pontius Pilate. Now, it's important also to understand that Holy Week, that Jesus suffered for the forgiveness of sins. I said this before, right? That I hope you understand this, that when you pray to God and you ask for forgiveness of sins and God forgives your sins, that that forgiveness, while freely offered to you, did not come freely but rather was paid for by God's son, Jesus Christ. Is that, do we understand that? That's why if you're, if you're a regular coastal, we're gonna sing a whole lot about the person and work of Christ because he is the one that we worship because he is the one that suffered for my sin, right? God didn't just wave his hand and forgive. Now I wanna read you a passage by the prophet Isaiah that is a, is a prophecy of the suffering of the Messiah. Now I cut this passage short for the sake of time, but I hope, hopefully it'll give you a picture of the predicted uh, suffering of the Messiah. Isaiah chapter 53 verse three says this. He, meaning the, 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 uh, the future Messiah, he was despised and he was rejected. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with the deepest of griefs. We turned our backs on him and we looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses that he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down 
And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. Yeah, there's a kind of a, the word that comes to my mind here is like, no, no, Sean. No, but he, he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and he was treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter as a sheep is silent before his shears. He did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants. And his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong. He had never deceived anyone. He was buried, with, uh, buried like a criminal and he was put in a rich man's grave. But it's the Lord's good plan to crush him. And cause him grief. Yet, when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy long life. And the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. Church, I want you to see something here this morning. Jesus Christ suffered for sinners. Jesus Christ paid for your sin. The justice and the wrath of God on sin was poured out on God's Son, Jesus Christ, so that sinners might be forgiven. And I confess with my brothers and sisters of church history of time past, he was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He, was, he suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified. He died and was buried and he descended to the dead. This next section reminds me of Good Friday, right? So we have Holy Week. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, but he, the next part is the idea and the remembrance of Good Friday. One of the things we do at Coastal on Good Friday, just as a reminder, because it's not that far away, is you know we open the building uh, and we leave it silent. We invite you to come up and take the elements of communion. And our hope is that you will have some remembrance of the high cost of the payment for your sin and my sin. That it will take a few moments out of our busy lives and, and pause long enough to remember that our Savior, our Lord, was crucified. He was crucified. To be crucified is to be numbered among the criminals. In early Rome, crucifixion was reserved for the worst of the worst to be executed. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was numbered among the criminals. He was executed like a common criminal. And on top of that, you know, crucifixion was, was one of the most horrific means of taking a life ever devised. You know, if I, if I wanted to spin us all up, right, and I could, we could have a great political debate here this morning, I could just throw out two words, ready? Waterboarding, right? We all have a strong opinion about it, one side or the other, like its purposes and, you know, what does it have its place? I, I want to tell you something. The next time you get sideways about waterboarding, I want your mind to go to the most horrific means of death ever devised by the human race, really. It's crucifixion. Jesus Christ 
We talked about this two weeks ago. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our Lord and our Savior, was numbered among the criminals and brutally killed. Now, death on a cross. Many people are not aware about how's that, what's that look like? How's that take place? Did you know that death on a cross usually wasn't from blood spill? It wasn't from loss of blood. It was usually from asphyxiation. It means, it means you struggle to breathe. And why is that? When, you, when, you, when a person hangs on a cross, they're nailed like this, they hang on the cross, they slump. And what happens is you take in your oxygen, but it's difficult to get oxygen out. And so what a criminal or what a person dying on the cross would do is they, they would push up on the nail that was on the place in their front. Sometimes there was even a, a, a wooden chalk there that a, that a criminal could push off of. They would push up and they'd take in their breath and then they would slump back down and eventually they would grow so tired that they could no longer breathe. They could no longer push up to take in breath. And what's interesting is that if a Roman guard was being merciful to speed along that, there was times that Roman guards would break the legs of a criminal so they could no longer push up so that death would come to them even quicker. What's interesting is that our, our Savior Jesus Christ actually didn't have his legs broken. It's probably a fulfillment of prophecy in Psalm chapter 34, okay? Verse 20, I'll let you look that up on your own. But we're reminded in John chapter 19 that Jesus, leg, Jesus was dead, so therefore his legs were never broken. Our Savior, our Lord, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, he suffered for sin. This creed reminds me that he was crucified and he was buried and he descended to the dead. He was crucified, he was buried, and he descended in the dead. Now, let me pause here for one minute, okay? And I don't want to bog down, but if there was an area in the Apostles' Creed that causes controversy, it is this line descended to the dead, okay? Now, there's about three of you in this room are like, I couldn't wait for him to get here and cover this because I've been wondering. The rest of you are like, well, I don't know. Okay, so, uh, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it a brief uh, overview and then we're going to move on. Okay, the phrase descended in the de- to the dead essentially uh, is, is um, there are three interpretations of this phrase. Okay, and and so if you'll notice, we're what we're reciting and what we're singing have two different lines here. Have you noticed that? What we're reciting is he descended into the dead, but what we're singing is what he descended into what? Anybody know? He descended into hell. Only Marty noticed that we're singing two different lines. Okay, so good on you, Marty. Actually, he's the only one that speaks up. So, uh, so anyway, right? So you notice that, right? That we're singing two different lines. What in the world is that about? Now, there's really three different views about this this phrase, and, and I'm, I'm not going to unpack all three because I don't have time this morning. Okay, uh, if, um, and especially since we have no parking spaces because of the snow, I've got to move along. Okay, um, but. Uh, I always say there's, there's two wrong views, and then there's one right view. That's the view I've accepted. That's kind of funny. Anyway, so, um, so anyway, the, the, probably, and remember I told you that the early formulations, it goes back to week one, the early formulations of the Apostles' Creed started probably around 140, 145 A.D. Around 200, we know that the Apostles' Creed was really circulating in the early church as a way for uh, Christians to, to kind of get their minds, get their memorization around the essential doctrines of, of what it meant to be a Christian. And the early word here was probably the word 
Sheol. He descended into Sheol. Okay, and that, and so if if you're an old, if you've read your Bible enough, you know the Old Testament uses the word Sheol all the time, and the word Sheol has it, it, it kind of changed in its meaning throughout the generations. Right now, you may say, well, why does that happen? How how do words change their meaning? Well, words changes their change their meanings all the time. Okay, um, and some of y'all will know, like. Let me. I'll throw out one word that in our culture this changes meaning. The word bad, right? Bad used to mean bad, and now bad means good. And sometimes when you're talking to someone, like you don't know if we're talking about good or bad, right? They use the word bad. And you're like, is bad bad or is bad good, right? Kind of thing. And so things change their meaning, right? It's very common. And so what happens is if I use the word bad in a in a phrase or in a language, you immediately know because of my tone of voice and the context, you know whether bad means bad or bad means good. Does that make sense? Right? Like if I say, man, my kid, now they're not always, like if I, if I were to say my kid is so bad, like you don't, now in that context, you're like, I don't know if he's like being disobedient or he like played a sport and he's awesome, right? You don't know the difference there. But generally in the context of conversation, you'll be able to figure that out. So the word Sheol has changed meaning through the years. And in the Old Testament, it generally meant descended into the grave or descended into what uh, in Old Testament times was the word Hades. And the word Hades over time has been translated into the word hell, right? Now, when we hear the word hell, what, we, what do we think of? We think of of a place of some kind of eternal torture or eternal punishment, right? But that was probably not the original intent of the creed. It was probably, uh, the word Sheol was probably used, and it probably meant that Jesus descended to the grave. He actually died, okay? And the reason this is important is, uh, in my mind, and why I've settled on this being the meaning, is because if Jesus didn't simply descend in the grave, uh, then his words on the cross, it is finished, didn't really mean it was finished. He had another step in the process of redemption, right? And I don't think that's what the Bible teaches, all right? Now, I know there's some teachers that have run with this idea, and my opinion probably made some false teachings, okay? But I believe it means he descended into the dead. And here's why this is important. Number one, I think that uh, I think this best captures what we can all agree on, that Jesus actually died. Now, why is this important? This is important because our Savior, Jesus Christ, suffered on the cross, it is finished, and he actually died, That's important to your understanding of your salvation, okay? Our Savior actually died. Our Savior actually tasted death. He didn't didn't swoon in a tomb until he was resuscitated a couple days later. The scriptures are very clear. Our Savior really, really died. If you've ever laid someone to rest and you know that they're dead, there is some hope in the fact that our Savior went through the same thing. He died. I joke sometimes about my own life, but sometimes I'm really serious. Like none of us in this room gets out of this thing alive. Did you know that? Like we're all gonna, we, we're all gonna taste death just like our Savior, but here's the really good news, ready? Our Savior died, but here's the great news. The grave couldn't hold our king, all right? I'm going to bring this sermon full circle, right? I told you it was from Christmas to Easter. And I affirm with the early church, as I love this line, on the third day, he rose again. 
The grave didn't hold Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1, the Apostle Paul says this, Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then. You still stand firm in it. It's the good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you, unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. By the way, you hear what the Apostle Paul's saying? Don't just believe in something. Believe in something that's true. Hold to something that's true. If it's not true, don't believe in it. Verse 3, I I pass on to you what was most important and what has also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins. Just as the scriptures have said, he was buried and he was what, church? He was raised. He was raised. How many, many, and Pastor Andrew hit on this uh, one of the first times he preached here, he said, and a lot of times when we present the gospel, we leave that off. How many times do you hear the uh, message of Jesus presented? He said, Jesus died for our sins, and it stops there, right? Yep, he sure did, but I've got one more step of really good news. He died for our sins, and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. Church, this is Easter Sunday, or what I like to call Resurrection Sunday, We celebrate, we're going to celebrate as a church in a few weeks, and and, in Resurrection Sunday, death was swallowed alive. Good news? In Christ, the grave does not have final say over me. In Christ, the grave does not have final say over you. The Apostle Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 54, Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, the scriptures will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Swallowed alive. Oh, death, where is your victory? Do you love this? The apostle Paul is mocking the very thing that mortifies us all, right? We're all scared to death. Paul is laughing. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For, the, for sin is the sting that results in death, but the law gives sin its power. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and over death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Church, it is this truth that gets me out of bed in the morning. It is this truth, church, that gets me motivated every single day. It is this truth that gives me hope that something about my day has purpose and has meaning and has worth. It is this truth that makes me passionate to make sure that my time, talent, and money is used to bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. In the back row this morning, we got a team we're about to send to Dominican. I'm going to bring them up in a little bit. It's this truth is why we're passionate at Coastal about missions. To make sure that every tribe, tongue, and nation has an opportunity to hear the gospel message of Jesus Christ. It is this truth that reminds me, yes, I have a limited time here on earth, but but I'm investing in something that's eternal. And I want to exchange my life for something that matters, something that outlives me. Because the Bible is clear that in Christ, we will share in the resurrection of Christ. Isn't that good news? 1 Corinthians 15, but in fact, Paul writes... Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. 
The idea here is the idea of what, what the Bible often uses this phrase called first fruits. Now, because we're not an agrarian culture, we don't always know what that means anymore, right? But in Bible times or in an agrarian culture, and for those of you who, are, who grow some things in your, in your backyard, like you'll know this, right? When you grow something, uh, fruit or, or uh, vegetables, oftentimes those plants will have an early produce before the bulk of the produce comes in, right? There'll be a couple peaches, there'll be a couple apples, there'll be a couple strawberries, you know, there'll be a couple string beans, a couple tomatoes that get ripe before all the rest, right? Have you ever noticed that? And there'll be one or two that are ready to eat right out of the chute. That's called first fruits. And so a lot of times this idea of first fruits is, in the Bible is, is, is given towards giving, right? Give the first fruits. But, but in here, Paul, in this context, the apostle Paul is saying, Jesus is the first fruits of a great resurrection, He's the first fruits, and that in Christ we share in his resurrection. Romans chapter 6, Paul says this, Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we were joined in his death? For we, did, uh, for we died and we were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will be raised to life as he was. Church, that's our hope. And we're investing in a kingdom that will last. I want to finish with this and we'll close with prayer. Have you ever, have you ever bought something that you got such a good deal on it you realize, man, as soon as you bought it, you, like, like for instance, you buy a home, right? And, and you settle in on a price and then you go get that home appraised. And as the appraisal comes back, you realize, man, I got equity in this house. This house is worth thousands more than I actually paid for it. Are you ever excited about that? Like you buy a car and you got such a great deal in the car, you realize, man, I could turn around and sell this car tomorrow for way more than it's worth, okay? Here's the deal. Your life right now, you're exchanging it for something. It's, the, it's whatever your heart engages with. You're, you're exchanging it for money. You're exchanging it for power and prestige. You're exchanging it for a relationship. You're exchanging it to make a boss happy. You know, whatever, you're exchanging it for something. You can exchange it for all kinds of things. But everything that you exchange it for, apart from worshiping Jesus Christ, is something that will go to the grave with you. It is only when you exchange your life in worship to God through Christ that you exchange your life for something that will last. Jesus told a story in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. He said this, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in the field. In his excitement, he hid it again, sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. You ever heard that story? Here's what he's saying. Your life has been exchanged for something. Here's the idea of that story. Let's say you're walking across a neighbor's field. As you're walking across the field, you stumble. Your foot sinks down in the ground. As you pull your foot out, your foot is covered in oil. And you're like, man, my neighbor's got oil bubbling up from the ground, right? Or you start, your foot goes down a hole and you dig around, and all of a sudden you find this big treasure chest filled with gold. And you're like, my neighbor, he's got gold on his property, right? Now you could do one of two things there. You could steal, right? You could pick that treasure up and you could walk off with that stealing, right? What's the best thing you could do? What's the way you could get that gold or get that treasure legally? You got to buy it, right? But now that piece of property is worth more than you really have. So you go and you have a yard sale. I mean, you sell all your furniture. You sell everything you own. And you get all, scrape on all the money you can to get, go to the bank and get a down payment and buy this property. Is that really a sacrifice at that point? Is that a sacrifice? Yes or no? Y'all don't know, right? No, it's not a sacrifice. Why? Because you're going to be far wealthier once you buy the field, right? 
And that's the concept of our lives because our Savior has risen from the grave. When you exchange your life in worship for him, you are exchanging your life of something that has far more value. There was a missionary named Jim Elliott, uh, educated, had some great uh, job offers here in America, but he turned all those down to become a missionary in Ecuador. And he was trying to break into a tribe that had never heard the gospel of Christ. And while he was there in, in his attempts to bring the gospel to this tribe, this tribe actually ended up killing him. And a lot of people looked at the life of Jim Elliott and said, what a waste. Shortly before he died, Jim Elliott journaled these words in his journal. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You know what I think of? The Apostle Paul going, oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? And once again, I confess with my brothers and sisters from generations past, man, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified. He died and he was buried. He descended on the dead. But on the third day, he rose again. Victory is ours in Christ. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, I want us this morning to feast on Jesus Christ, to feast on his resurrection. We give you praise, give you honor, and give you glory. The resurrection of Christ is our hope. We serve a God who's not dead. Our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it is not that he didn't die. He died, but it is that he conquered the grave. And the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in those who believe in him. We give you praise, we give you thanksgiving, and it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, church, I wanna do one thing before we do our offering time. Uh, we, one of the things that we, we're passionate about at Coastal Community Church is missions and making sure the gospel of Christ goes to every tribe, tongue, and nation. This year, uh, we are take, sending out five missions teams uh, to three locations. Uh, we're sending out all about 80 people. Uh, last year, we sent out about 45 to 50. This year, we're sending out about 80, okay? And that happens by you all and your generosity, you all and your prayers, you all and sending these folks. And so we've got a team that's leaving in about two weeks for spring break. They're going to the Dominican Republic. It's a lot of college students, but not just college students. Uh, I believe there's about 15 team members. If you guys would stand and you guys can turn around, I'm not going to bring them up front for time's sake, and give them a round of applause. I'm excited you guys are going. And... Um, if you want to talk to them after the service, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray over them, okay, as they're our first team going out, and uh, pray that God uses them, and, and then we'll take up our offering. And so those of you who donate to Coastal, thank you. Okay, we're not after your money, but this is part of what you donate to, sending out our teams on missions. And, uh, and so thank you for donating, and then I'll turn it over to Pastor Joey. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this team of people that have said, you know what, I'm going to give a, a week of my time uh, to go and go into another culture and be a part of making Jesus famous in another culture. So I thank you for this Dominican team. God, I pray that you'll give them safety. I pray, Lord, that you will give them impact. And then I pray that they will be impacted. And, uh, man, they will bring that um, vision of you working 
in other cultures to back to our culture, God, and they will be motivated to be a part of missions the rest of their lives. So I want to thank you for this team. Thank you for this church that helps make it possible. And uh, Lord, I just pray that they'll have an awesome trip, and we, we look forward to hearing back from them when they return. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. With that, ushers, Dominican team, you can be seated. Ushers, if you'll come forward, if you're here this morning, you have a prayer need, we'll have our prayer team up here after the service. And, uh, man, we're going to close the service this morning with a great song that reminds us of the victory of Christ and his resurrection. Joey.